This is the Leeds Business Podcast, and I'm your host, Phil Fraser. I'm a business sounding board. Think somewhere between a business coach and a business mentor. I help business owners to not be lonely at the top. In this week's episode, we speak to Helen Oldham, board director at the UK Business Angels Association. Formerly with North Invest, she's an active angel investor and a non-exec director. Helen discusses how she moved the two major Leeds newspapers out of the iconic Yorkshire Post building and the challenges and learnings that they brought. She shares loads of great information for investors and entrepreneurs in the early stage investment landscape and teaches us what should be in the perfect angel investment pitch deck. And if you're looking for a non-exec director, she tells us how you identify the perfect one for your business. To make sure you never miss out on every episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, sign up to our priority list at www.leadsbusinesspodcast.com. Everyone that signs up gets a free gift to help their business. So let's get into what is a really packed interview. On today's Leeds Podcast, we have Helen Oldham, um, early stage investor, community builder, supporter of diverse founders and general mover and shaker on the Leeds business scene. Good morning, Helen. How are you doing? Hi, Phil. Yeah, really good to see you this morning and looking forward to our conversation. Excellent. Excellent. So let's start with, let's go back to the start of your career. And I know you started at at, at Yorkshire Post. Talk us through that first. So there's a little bit of a story to that. I actually started at the Harrogate Advertiser as a stopgap job when I was in my early 20s. I arrived at an interview in the advertising director's office. Um, He asked me some questions. He then said to me, how had I arrived at the Harrogate Advertiser office? And I said, I'd walked. And he said, how long did it take you to get here? And I said, 20 minutes. He then said, I'm going to phone you in 13 minutes at your house. And this was pre-mobile phone. And there was no public transport to my house. So he knew that I would have to run to get back to my house to pick the phone up to find out whether I had this job or not. So I literally sprinted back to the flat, which I was living at in the time, picked a phone up to find out that I had a job selling advertising at the Harrogate Advertiser. Um, my dad at this point told me that I would be an utter failure because I, would, I still am an introvert. And he said I would never cut it in a sales job, but sort of leap forward about, 17 years from there, I found myself in an amazing situation where I was offered the role to run not only the Yorkshire Post, but the Evening Post and all of the titles across Yorkshire for Johnson, what was Johnson Press at that time. Wow, that's a lot of responsibility. So what, what, sort, of, uh, what sort of roles did that cover then? So uh, as the managing director, essentially you're responsible for the P&L, so the profit performance of that uh, region and for those brands, you're responsible for the strategy um, and you you are the person who's actually directing the senior leadership team. So I had a, a team of directors reporting to me, including editors. And at the time that I arrived at the Yorkshire Post, um, it, the industry was starting to go through some fairly significant change. Um, my boss had said to me, Helen, you know, we want you to go into the Yorkshire Post. We think you'll do a really good job there. I was actually very nervous about it and said no initially, thinking that it was too big a job and that I wouldn't be able to handle it. But 
I was very fortunate in having some really good mentors in that organization who backed me all the way. But I arrived and there were two very strong characters who were the editors of one of the Yorkshire Post and one of the Evening Post. And at that point in time, you know, if there was a serious road accident in Leeds, for instance, we would send out a team of reporters from the Yorkshire Post and a team of reporters out to from the Yorkshire Evening Post and two sets of photographers. So there was quite a lot of duplication and not a lot of interaction and collaboration between those two teams. So having gone from feeling as though this was job was going to be a significant step up in terms of my ability, I sort of leapt from there into one thinking I need to restructure the team and I need to do that quite quickly. And also coming to the realisation that the building we were in was not no longer fit for purpose. So the what is often labelled as the once iconic Yorkshire Post building at the end of Wellington Street, built in the 1970s by actually a, a very well-known uh, architect called Maiden, had uh, really outserved its purpose. The printing had shifted and was being done at Sheffield. So there was about 30% at the back of the building not being utilised. There were sort of old metal windows in there that weren't particularly sort of rain or or draft proof. And there was a significant part of the building where there were no windows. So, for instance, the journalist, which is the creative hub of the building, you know, had no windows. There were roof lights, but no windows. And it was a sort of huge chasm of a space that were occupied by these, you know, really high quality um, content providers, the, the, the journalists at the time. So, yeah, I also decided that we needed to move from that building. And uh, I called in the team actually at Fox Lloyd-Jones, who were super brilliant and said, we need to move out of this new building and we need to move out of it quickly because we want to generate an in-year saving. They basically said, if you want to do that, you need to put your team on a bus tomorrow morning. We need to go and look at six buildings tomorrow. You need to make a decision by next week. And then we need to move on from there. And we together, we actually accomplished all of that. And with in a sort of record time of, I think it was about four months, um, we managed to relocate all of the staff out of the old Yorkshire Post building into their current home at Whitehall Road. And it was a significant change for that business because it was a traditional manufacturing business. And, you know, the, the industry had moved on significantly Digital media was far more important at that time. And moving into the sort of more contemporary premises at Whitehall Road made it feel, look and feel, and it indeed it was a more sort of digitally focused business. So it was a significant cultural change, I think, for that team, as well as a sort of bricks and mortar change. So it enabled that change to happen, but also did a fairly big restructure, which hit the national news because I decided we would only have one editor. And at that time, that was a pretty significant change. Um, And that one editor would then be responsible across the Yorkshire Post and the Yorkshire Evening Post and would bring those teams closer together, sort of reduce the duplication that was in that environment, but also, you know, in an attempt to lift the quality of the content across both because you would be playing to the, the best journalists across each story in each of those situations. So it was a tricky time. Um, 
And I'm immensely grateful for the whole team in the way that they responded to those challenges. I thought they did that with really good grace. And, you know, we came out of those changes with a very strong business in terms of the performance. I think we had the best performance of any uh, newspaper title in the Johnson Press portfolio, which was significant the following year. And we were able to move into the year that the Tour de France came with renewed vigour, an amazing digital platform that we supported all of the content of that around and one of our best profit performances. So it it was a significant step. Um, Yeah, but as with all these things, you can only do that with a good team around you. And I think the team that we had at that time were really good at being honest about where their gaps were in terms of their own capabilities and development. They had an amazing sense of humour, which I think can get you through a great deal, more than you think, I think. Um, but also a realisation that significant change needed to take place at that point. You've, co- you've covered an enormous amount there. There's a couple of things I just want to dig, dig back into. Um, I'd imagine you going in, you know, as a woman in charge of, I assume, what was probably a very male-orientated uh, industry, sorry, not industry, but business. What what skills do you think you needed and, and what skills do you think a, a, a business owner needs to really make things happen? I think particularly when you move into a new role, you need to, first of all, do some very active listening. You know, usually the staff in, in uh, at multiple layers will have some of the answers that you need to make the changes that are required. But I think, so. you know, taking soundings and listening properly, I think, to the challenges, but also some of the loose solutions that the team have within them but maybe haven't been supported to enact, I think is, is super important. I think the next thing is communication. You know, in a big period of change, whether that's a new leader or in the two scenarios that I was describing there, communicating sort of at multiple times, multiple channels as frequently as possible about what is happening, why it's happening, but most importantly, what is going to be the impact on each individual within that organisation is is really important. Um, it helps to build trust and it helps to take away sort of uncertainty. And you, you need some robust strategies to do that. Um, so... You know, we had a a staff newsletter, but we also held multiple staff briefings around what was happening. You know, sometimes it was complex because there were unions involved as well. Um, And the union involvement in in newspapers still still exists and in some digital businesses. But it's an added layer of complexity and responsibility to be able to take those organisations with you through big periods of change. So I think the things I... I bought into that situation where one, some clarity and focus, it was very clear about what we needed to do. And I very much wanted the senior team to collaborate with me to bring bring those changes to bear. So we all had roles in making sure that that change period um, ran as smoothly as possible um, and that each of those people were sort of being leaders in their own teams to make sure that people understood what was happening and the reasons and what it meant for for the individuals within their teams. 
uh, I think I'm immensely determined, and that's probably a golden strand to a lot of things that, that I've done. Um, so although there were multiple challenges along that route, you know, I was absolutely sure that we were going to get there at the end. And I'm also one of those people who, if someone says, Helen, there's no way you're going to be able to do that, uh, that makes me <laughs> doubly determined to make sure that that um, we actually get there in the end. So, for instance, my boss said, there's no way you're going to be able to move that number of people in such a short time. So uh, we proved him wrong. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And another thing you mentioned, just going back slightly, you mentioned that you had a number of mentors. How important do you think they were in your role and, and going forward? Yeah, so um, at Johnson Press, I was fortunate to have two mentors. One was a woman who was formidable, um, a real powerhouse and had a huge amount of respect in the business. And she just gave me, first of all, the opportunity to have my first proper senior leadership role as a managing director of the Burnley Express Group, which was an amazing company of 100 people. Um, but she sat me down basically and said, Helen, I'm going to give you three tips. First of all, you know, this is a small team relatively for a company size, 100 people. If you say something to one person, you have to assume that everybody is going to get a version of that at some point so you know first of all think carefully about your communication style and about what you communicate and to who um she also said there are going to be times when you're not sure what to do we all have those moments as leaders and what i suggest you do is just buy yourself a bit of time and my, my suggestion to you she said was just say that's a really important point I need to think about it and I'll come back to you. And that is such a good strategy and it's one that I've used multiple times when I'm not sure. So it means that you can avoid saying, I've, yeah, I've got no idea, I don't know what you're talking about. These days you can Google as well. You've got Team Google available there to, to help you answer those questions. But you're also saying, I hear you and I'm what you're saying is important to me and I'm going to respect that by thinking about it a bit longer. Um, and, that, you know, some some of the things that she taught me have, have stayed with me as, as that, that example for a long time. And then I, so that was someone called Margaret Hilton. And then my other mentor was somebody called Danny Camillard, who was the chief operating officer for Johnson Press. And the biggest thing he did was basically just to believe in me. So when I said, I don't think I can be the managing director of the Yorkshire Post, it's too big a step up. He said, 100%, I know you can do this, Helen. And you are going to do it and I'm going to, I'll sit in the background, but if you need me, I'll be there. And actually, in the end, I didn't need a huge amount of his help. He was right. Um, but I knew that it was there if I needed it. And so mentors are, are really important. And I would sort of, you ask me the question, what about mentors today? I have also been very fortunate in the angel investing environment that there is and also really formidable woman heading up that organisation in the UK. She's called Jenny Tooth. She's the executive chair of the UK Business Angels, of which I'm on the board. And she actually set that organisation up, I think it's 11 years ago now, um, it, 
and created the 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 um the body that it is today and you know today angel investing in the uk is the second most active of any country in the world second to only to america um and in terms of activity you know a lot of that has been created by her drive and her enthusiasm but she's also given me and some of the people i've worked with like jordan darts and really good tips on how to build effective angel networks about collaboration um and yeah she's been um you know an, an amazing support every step of the way and still is okay so you've just said she's given you some tips on how to build an effective angel network go on share share some with the uh, with the listeners so i think you know when i arrived at north invest which was 2017 I had come out of my sort of thirty-year tenure in um, in the media sector, and effectively, I I didn't realise I was about to step into angel investing for a considerable period of time. Again, I thought I was just helping to build something, and then I might go off and do something else. Um, but she sat sat me down and said, "If you're going to build an angel network, the first thing you need to do is be super intentional." about making sure that you want to support as diverse around a range of founders as possible. And that means having diverse angels in the network because we know, for instance, from research that female investors, women investors are more likely to back female founders, for instance. So in a woman angels portfolio, probably 50% of the businesses they back will be female led. Um, compared to a much lower percentage in a, a male investor's portfolio. I'm not saying they don't invest in women, they do, but not to as great a, an, an extent. And so one of the things that's critical in terms of ensuring that we close off that gender funding gap is ensuring that we have more women who are active as angel investors across the UK, um, and particularly out of outside of London. Um, we've got a sort of a double challenge because most investment, 75% of it is centred around uh, London, Cambridge and Oxford, the, the Golden Triangle. Um, but also most of the women angels are also in that, that area as well. So it means that when you come outside of that area, you know, the number of women angels who are active is, is actually quite a low percentage. And I was very proud of the fact that inside North Invest, we actually managed to build that number from a fairly low starting point up to 30% of the network were women and that compares to the UK average of 14%. Um, but still lots of work to do to, uh, you know, encourage more women to understand that it's a really interesting asset class to be involved in because you can be an active investor and actually help founders on the journey, um, that you can get good returns from it. Yes, it's high risk. Every woman should have some high risk investment in their portfolio. Otherwise, they're not going to get the overall returns that they need. Um, and you also get that opportunity to meet a lot of other like minded people, whether they're male or women, um, in terms of the, their career stage. So quite a lot of them have exited big, big businesses or, or large jobs. And, you know, there's a feeling that you're sense of as part of a, a community of like minded people who are all wanting to make a difference. So let's just let's talk about North Invest. So 
what happened? Did somebody approach you for it or did you, was there a job there? Or Tell us all about North Invest. I was super fortunate to meet um, the founder of North Invest, somebody called Professor Adam Beaumont. When I was at the Yorkshire Post, I set up an accelerator inside the building, the Whitehall Road building, the new one. It was all part of that sort of um, digital transformation piece. I was keen to bring some disruption inside the business. And so we had a group of, I think it was 10 sort of media related tech startup businesses come in as part of a scheme that we developed with Leeds Beckett University. And at that point, Adam stepped in and put comms into the building because we couldn't run it through our Johnson Press firewall to enable those businesses to be based there. He had already recognised that um, something called Yabba, the Yorkshire Association of Business Angels, had folded because it was part of Yorkshire Forward. And when those quangos ceased to be government funded, um, that meant that things like some of those angel groups also disappeared. Um, and he was keen to fill that gap. He set up a board. To cut a long story short, he, he asked me to be on it. And then for various reasons, two years later, we hadn't done much yet. And I said to him, as I came out of the Yorkshire Post job, why don't I go in? have a look and see what it would take to actually make this a real thing, like how many team members we do we need, all of that kind of stuff. Went away, scoped it out, and then set up a very small team of two people at the beginning to set North Invest up. Um, and essentially the first step is to attract the investors, isn't it? And until you get to a critical mass, it's it, you know, you, you don't actually have the investment capacity to support the founders. And that probably took about a year. And then the year after that, we did five deals. The year after that, we did 10. The year after that, we did 19. The year after that, we did 26. And so it, it grew quite rapidly from that point onwards. Um, and in 2022, we won a big award for being the best angel group in the UK, which considering the age of the organisation, the fact that it was not based in the south of England, um, all those things was a, a pretty major achievement. That's amazing. That's amazing. And and I would recommend anybody who's looking for uh, investment to, to approach North Invest because it's a fantastic organisation. I have been there. You mentioned Yabba who folded. I actually pitched my original business back in 2000 to them and they turned me down. But it's all right. It, it created something else instead. Um, you, you, you're also very involved in something called SmartWorks. Do you want to tell everybody all about that as well? Because that's a fantastic organisation. Absolutely. So SmartWorks is a national women's employment charity uh, organisation that helps women by giving them the confidence, the clothing and the coaching that they need to succeed at interview. So, you know, through the pandemic in particular, we saw a disparity in the, the number of job roles that were affected, um, particularly the ones that were um, affected women's roles. So we play an active role in encouraging women who, for various circumstances, have been out of the employment cycle. And that might be because they're refugees, they might have come out of prison, they might have had mental health issues. They might have been out because of um, taking time out for childcare. And 
essentially when that woman walks in through the door, the first thing we're saying is that we want to understand your story, how come you landed with us so that we can understand some of the challenges that they've had and show that we care and we're interested. And that's probably the most important part of the offering that SmartWorks provides. Um, you know, someone who's listening and, and cares. And we then go from there into providing a set of clothes that are relevant for an interview in, you know, all sectors, whether that's, a, you know, informal dress for the tech sector or, or something for more formal for professional services or a range of anything in between. And that set of clothes is the set of clothes that a woman can keep. And then after an hour of choosing that set of clothes that is hopefully going to give the woman you know, an extra sense of confidence. We all know the power that clothes can have in, you know, helping to change your mindset about how you feel on a given day. Um, then there's an hour of coaching how to get through the uh, the job interview itself. And what attracted me to this charity in particular was it's very outcomes driven. It measures the impact of what it does very specifically. So we know that in Leeds, for instance, 69% of all the women we see get a job, which is a phenomenal uh, conversion rate, particularly as we know a large percentage of those women, I think 35% are single mothers, um, some, something like 50% um, come from ethnic minority groups, and a large percentage of them have had multiple interviews and not succeeded when they come to us. So to achieve that 69% success rate is, is really good. And we then, for all the, the women who get the job, we also provide then another set of clothes that enables them to have two set of clothes when they actually start the job because one set clearly is not enough. That's absolutely amazing. That's absolutely amazing. There will be links below in the show notes um, to SmartWorks. But if anybody wants to get involved or, or support SmartWorks, how, how can they do that? If they go to the SmartWorks website and then put in SmartWorks Leads, that will take them to uh, our bit of the website. It will tell you all of the exciting activities we've got coming up. We've got a very first Fashion as a Force for Good Ball coming up in um, November this year, which is going to be really exciting, an opportunity to wear your sort of bravest outfit choice um, in, a, in an environment where everybody's doing the same. Um, we've got some great speakers in there. It's going to be an enormous amount of fun. And then we also run regular fashion sale events as well, which are very well supported and a really good opportunity to, to pick up a, a fashion bargain. So you can see all those things on our website. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I want to go back to um, the angel investment piece, but before I do, I want to tell people about the Leeds Business Podcast Gentlemen's Agreement and ladies. So there's two halves of this agreement. My half of the agreement is every week I bring you inspiring, amazing, brilliant Leeds business people like, like Helen for free. Your half of the agreement, listeners, you've got three parts to your half of the agreement. The first part is I want you to share this podcast with one person you think will get value from it. Number two, I want you to post a review of the show, either at Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Podchaser. 
And if you're watching on YouTube, point number three, you need to give the show a like. That's all. Fair deal? Helen, fair deal? Yep, sounds good to me. There you go. Helen says it's a fair deal, so it must be a fair deal. So let's go, let's go back to the, the angel investment piece. Um, anybody who's listening, if they're looking for angel investment, what tips could you give them? This is such a good question, Phil. So I think the first question to ask yourself is, actually, is angel investment the right thing for you at this moment in time? So typically, an angel investment will mean giving away some equity in your business. And, you know, once you've done that, you can't reverse it. Um, so being super clear that there aren't other ways of funding the business. So you might be able to take on some debt equity or if you're fortunate enough to have um, friends and family who might be able to support you in some sort of pre-seed funding. It's definitely worth exploring all of those things first. Angel investment comes into its own if you are in a fast growth scenario and you need the investment to support that fast growth, or if you're at a stage of building a product which is going to require some investment that you can't get anywhere else. So, for instance, deep tech or med tech businesses, you know, typically they will need some kind of angel investment in the lifespan of the growth of that organization. So that'd be my first thing. You definitely need it. The next thing would be, uh, when do you need to start the process? So I always advise that you need to start thinking about this at least six months ahead of when you actually need the money and possibly longer. Typically, an angel round can take as long as six months or sometimes as long as 12. And you may need to talk to multiple organisations to get that funding that you vitally need. So preparation is really important. And in that preparation step, which is the what do you need to prepare, you will probably be asked to show a pitch deck, which essentially is a story of your business with the business um, KPIs and measures in it. I'll go on to what else to put into that. And you will probably be asked for a business plan as well. So having those two things ready for when you make those approaches to either individual angels or angel networks is super important. And then very quickly in the pitch deck, you want to be talking about why this idea is important to you, how far you've got with actually developing it and making sure that there is a clear market need for it. There's a, you know, you're solving a real problem. Even if you're not revenue generative yet and for instance inside fifth, uh, north invest 50 percent of the businesses we backed were not revenue generative yet if you can't prove that you're generating money at this life stage you do need to prove some traction so what is it you can show that demonstrates that this has got the growth potential that an angel investor might be interested in so all of those things being clear about who your competitors are if any you definitely need to include that who your team are, people buy from people. Angel investing is very much a people-driven environment. And then lastly, the details of your business plan. You know, what does year one, two, and three look like? And lastly, what would you do with the investment money once you've landed it? Being clear what that's going to be used for and how it can actually accelerate the growth of your business. So that's a sort of speed run through what might be in a pitch deck. You can look on the UK Business Angels website if you want to see a bit more about how to build that. So 
that's the what. And then lastly, the who, who do you talk to? I would recommend going to the UK Business Angels again. You can see all of the different angel groups there. Um, thinking about whether you want to go to one that has a specific focus. So there are some women-only angel groups, that, and a lot more of those are emerging, which if you're a female founder, I'd definitely recommend you do that. Um, there are some that back just diverse um, founders, so Cornerstone Partners, for instance, are very good at black, uh, backing um, black founders. Uh, Black Sea Ventures also do that. So you can have a look at the range of different angel organisations in the UK there. And there may also be a, uh, an opportunity to approach uh, individual investors through that network too. So do a little bit of research and I would recommend that you approach more than one organisation. It's likely that it's going to take you several conversations and it could be more than 10 um, with different investment organisations to get where you need to. So having that sort of resilience and determination, I think, is also super important at that point. Um, so that's my sort of whistle-stop tour of, of the, the, the why, the when, the what and the who. Um, but, yeah, all, lots of material on the UK Business Angels website if you want to learn more. Absolutely brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. So let's just let's flip the coin. Anybody who's listening who's got a few spare pennies in their back pocket, what advice or tips would you give to people who, who want to be angel investors? Yeah, so Phil and I were talking about this off air just before we came on to the podcast because both of us have been active angel investors. And I think the first thing and something we were just talking about is being clear that um, you don't need to invest huge amounts. You know, in the rounds that North Invest curated and in our Women Angels of the North group, we were very clear that you don't need to put a big chunk in. We took uh, investments as low as 2.5K. 5K was quite on a frequent investment figure. Um, it's better to start low, particularly at the beginning when you're learning how to be an effective investor. So it's a myth that you need a huge amount of money is the first thing that I would say. The second thing is it's hugely tax efficient. So we're very fortunate in the UK that we have the benefit of EIS and SCIS tax um, uh, benefits, which mean that you can claim back 30 to 50% of your investment, providing the entrepreneur you're backing has got that cleared before you make that commitment. And it also gives you some reassurance that if that business goes bust, you, you also get the opportunity to claw some of that investment back. So it's hugely tax efficient in terms of the returns that you can get. And thirdly, it's a huge amount of fun. I mean, you get the opportunity to work closely with very innovative entrepreneurial businesses, the kind of things that you might not have come across before in the past. I would always recommend thinking if you want to be an active investor and actually get involved in helping entrepreneurs, thinking about what value can you add and making sure that you align your sort of skills and expertise alongside their gaps as well as the money. Um, what else can I tell you that would be helpful? Oh, yeah, we talked about the fact that typically in the UK, BAA back this up in terms of research, you're probably going to need 10 investments to get a return on your portfolio over time. 
So, and you don't need to do that quickly. You know, you don't need to make 10 investments in a year. You might make 10 investments over 10 years. Um, however, once you get to that critical mass, it's more likely just from the law of averages that you're going to get one that gives you the super return that you need and will compensate for the ones that perform less well in your portfolio. Um, I think it's also super fun to learn about angel investing alongside other people. And again, your local angel organization or the UKBAA have opportunities to get onto some education around how to be an effective investor. But the best way to learn, to be fair, is to have a go. And both Helen and I can uh, can vouch for the fact that not all angel investments go successfully well. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we're going for a particularly tricky economic phase, I think, at the moment. Um, so while some of the things in my portfolio, I've had a couple that have gone bust recently, um, I also know that, that now is actually quite a good time to invest because typically when the economy tightens up, that's when the greatest innovation happens. So the kind of startups that are coming on stream now asking for that pre-seed investment are the ones that probably are going to pay out over the next five and 10 years, which is the sort of time period that you're likely to get a return. So I would encourage everybody to actually be thinking about now as being a sort of, uh, yeah, a golden time for looking at what's out there. Fantastic. Fantastic advice. And, and uh, yes, uh, a couple of my investments aren't doing particularly well, but one of them is doing very well. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. Um, on the Leeds Business Podcast, we always ask our guests uh, to give us a how-to. So, Helen, I know you've got how-to prepared. Do you want to fire away? So, yeah, I was just going to take your listeners through a little bit more detail about how to put that investment deck together because this is your most important tool in telling the story of your business and why you need the investment. So the first thing to remember is that when you go into that investment environment, typically um, a pitch event, which there might be a group of investors attending or just an individual investor, you'll have a time limit at which you need to provide all of this detail. So the first thing to do is find out how much time do I have. Some angel investment networks um, say three minutes, some say five, some say 10, some say a bit longer and give you a bit more of a relaxed um, journey through this. So being clear, how long have you got? And then how many slides are relevant to the amount of time you've got? There's no point in trying to take what was a story that you can tell in 20 minutes and try and condense that with the same number of slides into three minutes. So making sure that each slide works really hard for you in the times to go, you've got to tell your story. I would always start with why your idea is important to you. You know, what was it that started your journey with this business? Because people are always interested in the story behind what's happened. And generally speaking, most of the entrepreneurs I've met have got some really interesting backstories as to why they launched this business. So I'd recommend starting with that um, and then starting to move into what is the product or service that you've developed and being really clear what that product or service is. 
to make sure that you don't lose lots of technical jargon because typically you're going to be speaking to a broad range of investors. And even if they are from the sector in which your um, idea is, is uh, pitched at, you know, there'll be different levels of understanding. So try and make the explanation short and pithy. Think about Steve Jobs when he used to describe what the iPad was going to do. He made that the shortest number of words that he possibly could. And there's an art to that. Um, making sure that visually you're telling the story as well, I would recommend that you get a designer to help you to do that. So explain what the product or service is and what a difference it can make. And then be really clear about why there's a gap in the market for this product or service. Angel investors want to know that you're fulfilling a real market need. And you may well use statistics to help support that or some other evidence um, that you have to show that your product or service is, is going to be doing something meaningful in the market. The next thing would be to talk about the market size itself. You know, how much growth potential is there? But also be really clear who the competitors are in your market and maybe think about grading your product against the various competitors that exist if they do. And be really honest, you know, if I think investors always appreciate the fact that if you can see that there might be challenges ahead, particularly in the competitive set, that you talk about that up front and talk about some of the ways that you might overcome that, but be clear that you've recognised that um, when you've put your product together. The next thing that I would recommend is that you have a slide that talks about your team. Typically, angels are going to be more interested if you're not a solo founder. And I know that's quite a tough um, thing to hear if you're in the solo founder space. But, you know, businesses that are run by two or more people are more likely to succeed. It's statistically been proven. So if you're a solo founder, I think it's definitely worth thinking about building up that maybe an advisory board or a group of people who are supporting you and showing up in the deck um, with those connections and how they are supporting you on your growth journey. So team doesn't necessarily need to mean employee. It could be you know, investors who are already involved in conversations with you, advisors or non-exec people who are helping you in your journey. And then the last thing as we come towards the end of the deck is to just get super clear about that business plan. You don't need to show every line of a P&L, but you clearly need to show what turnover you're expecting. And maybe if you've got multiple products, how that breaks down. You need to be showing what your cost base is going to be and you need to be show, showing what your profit figures like to be as well. And that needs to be shown over a reasonable length of time, at least three years possibly five if you can manage to do that and you know I'm often asked by entrepreneurs well Helen a lot of that is guesswork yes some of it is guesswork um, but I think being clear that you have a pathway that you're going to do all you can to deliver so you're providing those milestones for the investor to contract the sort of success of their investment is super important and it's also good discipline because by the time you come on to your Series A round, which is the next stage, you're likely to have venture capital involved in that. And you're going to be moving into a world where you're sort of living or dying by those milestones. And then lastly, just being really clear, what do you need the money for? So the ask, how much are you looking for? 
and being clear why you've chosen that amount um, and then exactly what you're going to use that cash for and how you think that's actually going to drive uh, increased accelerated growth of that particular business. Um, so being able to show that in a slide deck using as much visual information as possible and as few words, I think is, is super important. Always be thinking Steve Jobs, I, I would recommend. Um, and people are interested in people. Don't forget that. And I think um, you'll engage the audience a little bit more. So you mentioned there about non-exec directors as a potentially being involved with a with a startup. I know you're a non-exec on a number of boards. Um, if somebody's looking for a non-exec, um, what should they be looking for in in the person or people they uh, they take on board? So I would always recommend a skills audit of your board, um, so that you are clear that you've got all the support you need to grow your business from every aspect and you know typically you you're definitely going to need people who are conversing in things like governance you know and finance then but then also people who can help you commercially and with marketing and then supporting you and growing your people's skills and confidence as the business grow as well so being really clear you know, what skills already exist in there, people that you've surrounded yourself with, and then where the gaps are. I think then the next most important thing is a values alignment, um, being really clear that the people you're talking to in terms of potential non-execs have the same value set as you, um, and that there's a sort of cultural fit with the organisation is also super helpful. But I'd also really... Um, advocate that people look for people who will provide constructive challenge. You know, having those people on your board who ask the challenging questions, difficult questions, quite often will get you to breakthrough moments much faster than you would get there organically. So I'm not necessarily saying, you know, get people on your board who you're going to get on with every second of the day. Probably you do need that little bit of friction if the business is going to grow. Um, and I think it's up to you then, along with the chair of, of the board, to make sure that you're getting the most out of those individuals every time you, you meet and that everybody understands what their contribution needs to be. Brilliant advice. Again, some fantastic. Helen, you're just knocking this out of the court. It's some brilliant advice here. Um, so final question. Um, we ask all our guests to give a shout out to a, another Leeds business. So who are you going to give a shout out to? So I'm going to give a shout out to an amazing woman called Matali Mukherjee, who is running a startup called Cast Rooms. So it's an amazing um, business which is disrupting the sort of music and live event space in that it's sort of democratising and socialising the live streaming environment. So it enables individuals to join an event typically a music uh, event, uh, but also to show up with their cameras on so that they're joining a sort of crowd of like-minded people who are enjoying the experience. They get the opportunity then to relate to each other, but also to give feedback to the live performer in terms of how well that particular set of music's going or comedy or whatever. Um, she's also already secured a sort of pre-seed investment and is now on her seed round. 
Um, but she's an, an amazing founder who's doing some really interesting things in a space which has lots of impact. So, for instance, um, the sort of mental health benefits of actually enjoying a live stream experience in a group is pretty important, but also enabling um, uh, musicians and live music artists to make money through an alternative revenue stream as well, I think is an important part of the proposition. So, yeah, a massive shout out to Mitali. Uh, look her up on LinkedIn if you haven't already. She's, she's, she's brilliant. Fantastic. And there will be uh, links to, to all her socials and her website. I assume she's got a website um, in the show notes below. Um, one final question, Helen. Um, what's the one piece of business advice you'd give to any business owner? I, th- I think the biggest piece of advice is just to keep an open mind. You never know what's going to happen next. I, so I think I would sort of, thinking about the COVID scenario, none of us could have guessed that that was coming at us as we went into 2019. I think just having an open mind generally usually means that you're more open to opportunity when it comes towards you as well. So, you know, being flexible in your mindset about what the next step in terms of the growth of your business might be is super helpful. But being agile enough to respond to it as well. Um, And, you know, likewise, if it's a a challenge as well, the same thing, you know, not being so fixed in your plan that you can't respond to the unexpected, I think, is also super helpful. So that would be my one piece of advice. On that point, Helen. Thank you very much indeed. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thanks, Phil. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found it both interesting and of use. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to the show. Go on, do it now. Do it now before you go off and do something else. Much appreciated. Oh, and don't forget our gentleman's agreement. See you next week. <laughs>